This is the Beautiful Writers Podcast. I'm Danielle Laporte, and I'm here with Linda Sievertson, where we are chatting with some of the most amazing authors, publishing leaders, and creatives. Between the two of us, Linda and I have written something like 12 books, including our co-creation, Your Big Beautiful Book Plan. And we're here because we love this game. We love everything about the publishing industry, about getting ideas out into the world and being as creative as you possibly can. This all started with us interviewing some of our favorite agents and fellow authors for a membership group that we have called the Beautiful Writers Group. And because we don't believe friends should let their friends write alone, we are sharing the interviews with you. So for the next 45 minutes, because 45 minutes is a new hour, we will be digging deep and going for the light. Welcome. All right, this is Danielle. Welcome to the Big Beautiful Writers interview. We are with Jillian Lauren in conversation with myself and Linda Severson. So off the top, you can find Jillian Lauren at her website, Jillian with a J, J-I-L-L-I-A-N, Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N.com. And you know, I'm DanielleLaporte.com. And Linda is always rocking it at BookMama.com. And if you've been with us for a while, you know that we start everything with a blessing. So We're here now to give witness to a shared truth that absolutely everything is progress, that we have all that we need, and that brilliance is unfolding here and now. And by brilliance, we mean light. And so it is. Linda? Good morning. Jillian, are you there? Thank you. That was great. Hello, love. Hello. I need you to call me every morning with that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Can we start every morning with a blessing, Danielle, please? I need to do that on an MP3. Right? I think you should. And then, you and then should. That would be terrific. Turn it into a temporary tattoo. All right. So the reason that Danielle and I are bringing you Jillian is multifaceted. First and foremost, she has the most beautiful tattoos you have ever seen, which is part of what makes her one of the coolest chicks we know. And we are also Thank bringing you. <laughs> you're welcome. I love them. I love, like, touching your arm. Her skin is really soft, so you touch your arm and you just, oh my God, it's artwork. And uh, we are also bringing you Jillian because she's a memoirist, uh, twice, a novelist, and Mm -hmm. an essayist in places like the New York Times, the Paris Review, Vanity Fair, Los Angeles Magazine, Elle, and Salon, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she's really a writer, a storyteller, first and foremost, a mom, which we're going to talk about. And a rock and roll wife. She's married to the musician Scott Schreiner, who's the bass player for Weezer, who, as she says, is a total shredder. And uh, (laughs) he's so cool. (laughs) He's unbelievably cool. And she and Scott and their adopted son by way of Ethiopia, Teraku, whom her latest memoir, Everything You Ever Wanted, is about. They live here in L.A., and Jillian is actually the author of the New York Times bestselling memoir, Some Girls, My Life in a Harem, about her real life in a harem with the youngest brother of the Sultan of Brunei, which Danielle and I have featured parts of her proposal, which is so good. I think it's probably one of my favorite parts of your big, beautiful book plan. So we adore you, Jillian, for letting us have that amazing information. And you're the novelist of Pretty. So that's kind of your formal bio stuff. And I think what's most interesting about you right now is you're on book tour. And I don't think we've talked to anyone yet on book tour. Are you excited? I am. I'm in New York City right now. 
I'm so exhausted. But, you know, also, I'm trying to take some time in my day to recharge, you know, and really be quiet and then, you know, like, be energized by all my (laughs) interactions with people later in the day. So that's what I've been trying to do. Some days it works, some days it doesn't. But mostly I'm having a blast. Well, it's a great book. I love it so much. It's really a love story about you and your husband, but it's also this love story about the two of you with Teraku and adopting him. And is he with you right now? He's not. He was mm-hmm. with me for the first week, and then I've gone through the, the full scope of emotions. Of you know, then we split up, and for two days I was like, I'm free. I don't have to take care <laughs> of anyone first thing in the morning. And now I really miss him. And I can't wait to get home. Oh, I'm sure. All right, Dee, you want to start us off? I just want to say, isn't that the irony of, like, you know, when we're all home writing our books and we're in our creative caves, you know, you sort of throw, like, the dream dust out of it, and you're like, this would be so great when I'm on book tour. I can't wait to, like, have this book done. It's in my hands. I'm signing books. And then when you're signing books, there's that moment of, like, I can't wait to go home and just be in my yoga pants and write again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, but you got to be, it's all about I being know. It's, it's a life of extremes, <laughs> for it's sure. Extremes. It's like you get all the interiority and all the exteriority, but there's no mix in the day by day. It's just all one at a time. Okay, so I have a question about day by day. We like yes. to talk to everybody about their creative rhythm. So mm-hmm. creative rhythm meaning like, when you are home in your yoga pants, not your yoga pants, writing, like, how do you get it done? What's your flow? What's your creative rhythm? I'm very disciplined. I'm pretty strict with myself. And to, to the extent that being a mom will allow me to have a very regular schedule. And as he gets older, that's more and more possible. And I have an office. So I actually leave the house. I mean, I sometimes will work in my yoga pants in the house, but I go to an office because I find that that helps me to put a bookend on, you know, all the rest of the minutiae of daily life and my work. And then I work in a very timed way. I say, I'll write for an hour and a half, and then I get to have some almonds. <laughs> I give myself a little treat. So I really work. With, you know, I kind of dangle a little carrot in front of myself. And I write every day. I try to write six days a week. Sometimes it's five. And I am a big believer that you get a book written by putting one word and then following it with another word and following that with another word that there isn't too much magic involved. Hmm. Although your writing really reads like magic. You know, I've known you for a long time, and you're always eloquent. But every time I read one of your books, I'm staggered. Really, you're such a beautiful, poetic writer, Jillian. Thank you. It's such a joy to read your work. Such a joy. I think sometimes when I put a really strong framework around my day, and that gives me the freedom to, in the actual work itself, be messy and creative and wild and stuck or whatever it is, wherever it is I am at that point, it's really the discipline that allows me to do that. Okay, what's your best mistake, career or otherwise? (laughs) That's that's a really good question for me. 
you know, it's so hard to look at my life and everything I have and how blessed I am and to say anything was a mistake because I right. always worry that it's like, you know, the person who goes back in time and steps on the butterfly and then they come back <laughs> to the present and like everything is different and it's some yeah. Orwellian dystopia. <laughs> so I worry that if any one of my mistakes was missing, that my entire present <laughs> change. I never, never want that to happen. But, you know, I might not have been the greatest thing for my soul and for myself as a young woman that I really treated my sexuality as a commodity. And um, I, you know, I often wish that I hadn't done that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, as you said, if you hadn't done that, we wouldn't have had the book Some Girls and you wouldn't have this phenomenal history from which to draw your present-day lessons from, right? Right. True, exactly. So that's why it's so hard to say. Um, um, but, you know, it wasn't, wasn't the best choice. <laughs> There's no doubt. <laughs> do you write with more... I'm going to say do you write better. Do you write more better? But do you write more easily when you're, like, in that, you know, artistic suffering place? Or when you're, like, in a happy place. Do you need to have suffering to be creative? Uh, no, I think not Not in the traditional sense, how people think of that, like that writers will lead these tortured lives, because I think my life is actually very stable and mm-hmm. pretty boring from an outside perspective. But, you know, inside, I think that there is a certain amount of turmoil that comes with being a very observant person in this mm-hmm. messy world that, you know, I think that if you're not suffering a little bit, you're not looking hard enough at this <laughs> world. <laughs> God, that's good. And so that a lot of that, you know, like the urge to express some of that and to have a dialogue about it is part of what is my creative impulse. So in that sense, yes, but not in the sense that, you know, like I need to lead some crazy life and be dragging myself around in the gutter to, you know, have anything interesting to write about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When Mm -hmm. was your first sort of, I did it, I pulled it off moment in your writing? It's not what you'd think. You know, I had a novel that I wrote that I didn't sell. And it was my first book. I call it the practice book. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I really said that, you know, if I don't sell this book, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill myself. Mm. I'm going to kill myself. I'm never going to write again. Like, this is it. And then I didn't sell it. And for years. And I sat and I didn't kill myself. And I didn't stop writing. I sat down to write another book. And so I think I was about 40 pages into that book when Somebody asked me at a party what I did, and I said I was a writer, and that was the first time that ever came out of my mouth. And I realized that, you know what, I sat down to write another book, and now it sort of feels like, okay, I'm a writer. I'm going to keep writing. You know, I thought that that would stop me, and it didn't. So I think that that was the first aha so it was an moment internal. It was an internal shift. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, love it. I mean, the external stuff is nice. I was nice when that came, too. And when people say, you know, oh, well, you're going to get a book contract and it's not going to make you happy. I'm like, eh, 
Yeah. <laughs> Made me happier. <laughs> Better than not. <laughs> um, but it really wasn't that that made me feel valid as an artist. And I think that it's a little bit dangerous to hinge that sort of identity on those kind of external validations. Yeah. Best advice that you've ever been given in terms of business or the business yes. of creativity? Well, I mean, I think it's sort of cliched and it's the same advice that could be applied to the creative aspect of writing and the business aspect of writing, which are sometimes different and sometimes very intertwined, is just don't give up. And that sounds like a cliched thing, but I think that if that any writer with their salt is going to have numerous moments in their career where they feel like giving up is probably the best option. <laughs> Have you ever had a point in a book since you've been successful as a writer where you think, I can't do this book or I have to scrap it or you have to take a big chunk of time away from it? <laughs> well, not that I necessarily took a big chunk of time away from it because I haven't done that. I mean, there's stuff that I've abandoned early on, you know, ideas or essays or, you know, and definitely books that have started out as one thing and turned into another thing. But, I mean, I would say weekly I have a feeling that I can't do this or I can't go on or this isn't the right project. <laughs> or, and for me, self-doubt has always been, you know, just that's part of the noise. That is like uh-huh. part of the noise of my process and part of the noise of my brain. And I think that's very common for writers uh-huh. and for artists. And I've learned to just say thank you very much <laughs> for your input brain of mine, a lovely brain of mine, <laughs> and, you know, I'm just, I'm going to shelf that right now and just do my work for the day. And so, yeah, I have those doubts all the time. Julie, I've read you talking about, you know, bloggers can take a lot of hits for blogging about their family, their kids, their personal lives. Right. Everybody's. Yeah, can you talk about that a bit and mm-hmm. what you call, you know, everybody's right to their story? Right. So people are can be very critical of mommy blogs and every reading I do, somebody asks me, well, what is your child going to think about this? And every <laughs> class that I teach, my students are tearing their hair out trying to you know, figure out how to write about living people. You know, how to do that in an ethical and respectful way. And I think it's not for everybody. It's yeah. not for everybody to write true stories from our lives, and certainly not for everybody to write about our children. But I think of the people who told stories before me, who were steps ahead of me, you know, and had experience and hope that I needed and meaning that mm-hmm. I needed, that they're transmitting from their own lives and how much I cherish those people and how honored I am to be a part of that tradition of transmitting meaning through storytelling. And so, you know, it's not the right choice for everybody, but it certainly is a very sacred and wonderful path, and it's one that I definitely felt called to. Mm. Mm. Sacred and wonderful. I love it. I feel like I can use words like sacred with you guys. Yeah, yeah, you can use it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
<laughs> Keep a cap on that. It's a secret password. We knew you were cool, but now, now you're in. <laughs> Since I've got one of Danielle's sacred geometry gold tattoos on my belly right now, I would say that you're in the right group. Yeah, yeah exactly. On my belly. On <laughs> my belly. All right, biggest creative or business regret? You know, I think that there are certain decisions that I've made. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, of course. Like certain decisions that I've made out of fear, you know, or just agreed to. Uh, particularly, I think this is true with writers and business. We tend to, like, really give it away for free a lot. <laughs> um, and, like, people were having me come next week and speak to a group about the business of writing, which I don't know how I'm an expert at that. But anyway, I'll just try my best. <laughs> and uh, and then I realized, wait a second, because I'm on my book tour and I'm going and speaking and speaking and speaking, and I was just like, yeah, sure, great. Like, I'm going, I'm showing up to speak for free in a city that's not my own. And I was like, hey, how about, I called him back, and I said, how about everyone buys the book? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'm going to come and speak to your group, yeah. how about you support me in my living as an author you know I think people tend to think it's like a hobby or something so I've done a lot of giving it away for free and you know I think some of us work or certainly it was true for me that I've worked so hard for so many years before I had any success any you know traditional commercial success in this world that I was so grateful for it (laughs) that I was just like oh my god thank you so much I I can't believe you want to read my writing. And now I'm on my third book, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm still really grateful you want to read my writing. But, um, you know, I feel like maybe I could have stood up for myself more. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's an interesting comment about speaking gigs because often, I don't know how many people listening are trying to build a speaking platform, but often when you are asked to speak, there is not a fee involved and they'll say, you know, we right. don't have a budget. But the idea is you want to take some of those gigs early on in your career, get a testimonial from the program director who says, yeah, we love having her, blah, 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 and it gets you bigger gigs in the future that Mm -hmm. are hopefully paid. But whether you're paid or unpaid, always, always try to negotiate that every person in attendance gets a book. And that is covered by either the person putting on the event or the individual ticket sales to the event. Right. See, I should have talked to you (laughs) long before, but I did ultimately figure that out. Yeah, exactly. And it's true. I mean, you're going to have different realities of, you know, a career that's starting out and a career that you're three books into when you're on a tour. And that's a good idea to put in all of our minds is that you need to shift as your book tallies shift. You need to ask for more and expect more. Well, and, you know, when I started blogging, I mean, I think that there are no hard and fast rules. When I started blogging, people would be like, well, you shouldn't blog because you shouldn't write for free. And I was like, well, my career is just starting, really. And blogging was like how I found my voice, talking about parenting in particular. It was a really important creative expression for me. It was how I connected with so many readers and built my platform. So I love writing my blog. 
I don't think about that in terms of commercial value. I think the value is much broader than mm. a dollar amount. So I wouldn't say that there are any hard and fast rules, but yeah. Good. And everything you ever want, you mentioned that the goal of the book, so that everybody, this is Jillian's new book, for which she's on tour today. Um, <laughs> Two the goal of the book was connection, which had me wonder if, you know, when you've been writing your other works, do you have a goal in your heart when you're creating it, or does the goal appear as you're creating it? Well, I really am a very goal-oriented individual, and I would say that I sit down every day to work with not so much a goal as an intention. And so my intention when I sat down to write everything you ever wanted, every day was connection, and it was also that I was creating a gift for my son, because I mm. really consider this book to be a gift to him that I will be proud for him to have, hopefully someday when I'm gone, you know, throughout his life as this document of his first few years and of how our family came to be. So I definitely do try to work with some kind of focus in mind. I don't even remember what that was. <laughs> My first couple books, it's really a process-oriented thing more than a product-oriented thing. Jillian, do you pray when you work or before you work? I do pray. I pray before I work always. Always, um, every time. Every time. Um. And I talk to God a lot. <laughs> I have a pretty running thing with God in my daily life. It's very, it's not very formal, um, <laughs> but it's there. It's very present. And I do pray. And I think that anything that can set apart the creative space from the laundry and the kids and you know, all that stuff that is makes your mind so crowded and just to create some more spaciousness. So I light a candle, and I say a prayer, and I try to breathe, become really conscious of my body, try to really put myself in the space that I'm in, rather than, you know, what I'm making for dinner, and, you know, what that guy said to me in that comment, and all this stuff. Do you turn off your social media and your phone and your email and everything when you work? Um, I turn off my social media and I turn off my computer. I do leave my phone on because I have a young child. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, to me, I'm not comfortable being totally beyond somebody being able to reach me. It's like it's more stressful for me to be yeah. <laughs> totally unplugged. But I do make really strict rules. For myself. Like, I'll have my texting on vibrate. Sometimes I'll turn that off and even just like, just check the phone every once in a while. But I do not, I don't text back. I don't pick it up. I don't just like, and then because the phone's in my hand, just check my Facebook really quick, you know? Right. Because once you start doing that, I think that there's, there's this myth that we can multitask mm. and our brains actually don't multitask. So there's all that time that your brain's been shifting from one thing to another. So, like, I have a child. My child has special needs. There were times when I was constantly on eggshells waiting for a call from the school. So, you know, come pick your kid up. You bit somebody. And so I had to be reachable. So the challenge for me is being reachable 
and not indulging in the kind of procrastination that we use social media for. Mm, That's good. And then in the afternoon when I'm doing, like, my business stuff and my emails and even working on a blog post, you know, stuff that takes a little less, like, deep concentration and deep creativity, then I'll have that stuff on and I'm probably not as efficient as I could be and I, (laughs) you know, and it's not the worst. It's not the best, it's not the worst, but I do carve out time that there is no Facebook, there is no Instagram, there is no Twitter, there's, you know, that stuff can live without me for a morning. I feel pretty sure. (laughs) (laughs) The internet will not break without you. Mm. Yeah. Okay, question left field. What are you envious of? Or is there anything that you are envious of? Oh, gosh, I'm envious all the time of everyone's everything. That is... <laughs> That's the best answer of all time. <laughs> I have no envy. I am just so content with who I am and what I am. No, I, you know, I'm an artist. So, you know, I'm like, well, how come she gets that? And how come she's better at that? And how come, you know, I'm better than she is. She's better than I am. She gets more. She gets less. What, you know, if I were a man, and it's just, it's nonstop. And, you know, if I only had this, if I only had that, I'd be happy. Now, you know, that stuff is totally there. And I just try to really recognize it for what it is, which is, it's not a crime, it's just human. But do I let it define my sense of self-worth? Not on my good days, I don't. And I try to be very conscious of it. Like, when all that stuff is going on, all that envy and all that doubt and all that great stuff, I just try to preserve a little part of myself that is watching it. And is able to say, hey, wow, look at you. You are being really envious right now. (laughs) And isn't that interesting? How curious, (laughs) you know? know, And then it becomes something that can be useful to me because I'm writing about people with human emotions, you know, and I'm writing about the real stuff that we all feel. And so if I was some enlightened monk who's like not having any of those emotions, then I mean maybe I know monks do have those emotions or whatever, but just, you know, if I was in a place having transcended all of that, then then that would be an opportunity lost. You know, to really experience some of this stuff and then hopefully maybe express it creatively. You know, write about it in a character. Or write about it in myself. Write about it in an essay and speak to everyone who has Emotions like envy. <laughs> Not me. So, what's your favorite, what's your favorite thing about releasing a book? The favorite thing about releasing a book is the life that it takes on of its own. Like allowing your work out into the world and really giving your work to the world. Like you've given it, it's gone. It's not yours anymore. And I love when my work starts to breathe and people start to talk about it and people tell me things about my book that I didn't (laughs) see. (laughs) And that is my favorite part of it, that the story transforms. 
when it goes out into the world. It's also the hard part of it because I don't have control over it anymore. But it's really freeing and it's really a learning experience and often very beautiful and very rewarding. Mm. Okay, multiple choice. Here we go. Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Dark. But I'm lying. Silver. (laughs) (laughs) Because dark is more sophisticated? Dark is the cooler thing to say. Okay, that's hilarious. (laughs) I'm totally milk. Uh, no, we. Yeah, I like that, like Cadbury milk chocolate. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, nuts. Um, okay, silver or gold? Gold. Paper day planner, like in which you write with a writing instrument, or a digital calendar? Both. Hmm. Both. Both. Okay. Both. Yeah. Acoustic or electric? <sighs> <laughs> I knew that one was going to get you. Tough one. Um, yes. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> acoustic maybe. Uh, yeah, depends on. Depends on. The, You're married the, to the hour of the night. You, you get to have both. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Leonard Cohen or Rumi? Leonard Cohen. Sleep. Okay. <laughs> Sleep or sex? <sighs> uh. <laughs> You're asking me on a book tour, okay? So sleep, 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 sleep. This week, sleep. All right. So, Jillian, what is your song that still must be sung? The creativity or message or production that has to get out of you? I'm working on a musical right now. Um, And it's really a fun and exciting form for me. And I started out in the theater, so it's fun to get back to my theatrical roots. And also, it's just a really, it's like a medium that I have always loved so much. So that's my next project. But, you know, there's, I got a million of them. So (laughs) I think that the important thing for me is just that I have a life where I get to keep making stuff. Mm. Oh, you're working on a musical right now. Yeah. I'm, now I'm crushing. That's <laughs> awesome. I mean, to even to even just have that the daring of like, right. write a fucking musical. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's totally crazy. Having but, known both yeah. of you for a long time, I would say that you are soul sisters. Uh, well, <laughs> I have to meet in person one of these days. Yeah, it'll happen, and we'll right, talk so, about your musical. Yeah, no kidding. So, Jillian, I want to end on something from Chapter 2 of Everything You Ever Wanted, where you say, Mm -hmm. to be so unwanted, oh, I should preface, you're talking here about how you were also adopted. Right, correct. So, you say, to be so unwanted and so wanted at the same time can carve a fault line in you. I expect motherhood to finally unite this duality. It will settle the question of whether or not I'm needed. So my question to you is, have you settled the question? Well, you know, I think that what that question is really speaking to is Uh self-worth, you know, or just worthiness. And that's a question I ask myself all the time, and it's something I still struggle with. So the question hasn't been answered, but then the question is my creative fire, you know, Uh not the answer. So... Uh You know, I don't expect that that question will ever be answered in my life, but it has certainly been an inspiring and thought-provoking and exciting doorway for me. 
Well, I, for one, am very glad that you are here and that you do what you do. For me, you are very much needed. Aw, thanks, Linda. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Jilly. And you can think about that tonight when you're signing your, like, 900th book. And you want to go home and write, yeah. yeah. Uh, from your mouth to God's ears, as my grandmother would say. <laughs> Stories need to be told. Deepest gratitude to Jillian. For everybody listening, our big, beautiful writers, we say, go write beautiful things. Mm-hmm. And thank you, everybody. Love you guys. Thanks, To hear more of our chats and find out how we can support you on your writing journey, head over to beautifulwriterspodcast.com where you can subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Danielle and I are so grateful you've spent your time with us. Until next time, write on.